Well, hey, we are in the second part of our current series simply called Ask Me Anything. And I don't really want to take up a huge amount of time trying to give you some kind of recap from where we started out last week at the 11. And you can go online at liverpoolonechurch.com and you can check up on all of that. But just to help me set up where we're going to go in today's talk, I just want to give you a very, very brief overview. I don't know about you, but have you ever found that sometimes the most stressful moments of all of our lives exist around those times and seasons where we've got questions and choices that we just need to make a call on? I mean, can you just imagine for a moment, how easier would your life have been if during those times and seasons where you have a question that needs answering, you have a decision that needs to have a choice made on it, you can go left or you can go right, You can buy or you can sell or you can move or you can stay. You can take the job. You can start your own thing up. How much easier would all of our lives be if during those moments when we've got these incredibly large and significant questions going on, if there was some kind of just question that we could not run around and feel the need to ask everybody anything, but a question that you could ask yourself in those pivotal moments of your life, then how much more stress-free would all of our lives be, right? So last week, we introduced this concept and this idea about teaching us to ask this question as Paul encourages to ask it, as found in Ephesians. And the question for us is, well, what's the wise thing to do? Like whenever you've got a choice, Whenever you've got a decision, whenever you've got something going on in your marriage, whenever you've got something going on at work, whenever you've got something going on in your business and you're like, I don't know which way to go, you've got to ask the question, what's the wise thing to do in light of your past, in light of your current circumstances and in light of your future hopes and dreams? So I guess that it's along that theme that we want to carry on this current series as we just try and figure out how we can all make better and smarter decisions in our life. Because hey, how much less tears would there have been if we just had a formula, a system, a set of questions that if we were to ask them at those most pinnacle moments where we've got choices to make, how much easier would that have made life for each and every one of us. So that's kind of where we're going. Now, my wife is currently out of the country. She's speaking at a conference and at a church and doing her thing, having a great time. And um, what I've noticed since that she's been away is that I am now on time for everything. I mean, like literally, uh, look, I, I don't wanna, I don't wanna, I don't want to be accusatory in my tone. I don't want to maybe even try and suggest that when my wife is around that I am late for everything, but, but I'm just saying that when she's here, we're late for everything, right? It's just how it is. In fact, just this week, we were having dinner with friends and like, seriously, we were so organized. We even got to the restaurant first. And like in the decades that we have been together, I cannot remember that ever happening before. And we sat at the table and we looked at each other and our friends hadn't yet arrived. And we were like, what do we do now? Because we'd never ever actually arrived first before. In fact, typically, whenever we're going out to meet somebody or we're going out for dinner, what normally happens and hey, don't you try and make out that it's not the same in your marriage, right? Because I know it's exactly the same, but in our marriage, it's kind of like I'm in the car waiting for Emma, engines on, music's on, typically beeping my horn, and Emma eventually comes in the car, and then we start to set off, and I'm like, 
what time's the table booked? And she'll say, you know, it's half seven. And I'm like, but hun, it's 25 to eight now. And she'll just go, well, we'll get there in a minute. And then it starts. I say, well, you need to text them. And then she looks at me and she goes, I'm not texting them. I said, no, no, you're the one that's made us both late. You need to text them. She goes, if you want to text them, you text them. It's okay. It's fine. It's like you've been in late. I've been in late. We've been busy. It's like, I'm like, hon, you need to text them. Like, sorry, we're going to be 20 late. We'll be 15 late. And she's just like, I'm not texting them. I'm not texting And this normally starts what is, in essence, World War Three, And like, we don't quite punch each other in the car as we're traveling to the restaurant, but it could go there really easily. And then literally we're like arguing and we're like, you've made me late and I've not made you late. I'm only late because you're not organised, you're disorganised and I'm like you gave birth to them it's your responsibility, you should sort them out and she's like it's a joint thing this and we're arguing away and then literally we get out of the car and we walk into the restaurant and we're like hi how are you? I was like really we're not even talking to each other but that is just a really genuine tension that exists in our marriage and, and it's often fueled by the fact that it just doesn't feel like there's enough time. Anyone ever experienced that? Like there's just not enough time in the day to get to the thing, to be on time, to be at the place. There's just not enough time. And then there's one question that honestly, I have never even heard my wife ask. And that's this, honey, what time is it? She has never asked that question, not once in our whole marriage. In fact, in our house, there is only one room in our entire house that has a clock. And she's like, I didn't know this before we got married. If I did, I think it would have been a game changer. But she's like anti-clock. There's only the kitchen that has a clock in it. No other clocks are allowed to be positioned anywhere else in the house because she does not give a rip about what time it is. But the reality is, is that for most of us, we ask that question all of the time. Like, what time is it? Even some of you right now have already checked your watch three minutes in, uh, sorry, six minutes in, and you're kind of like, is he going to be done by the 35-minute count today? I mean, are we going to be out on time? I've got a dinner reservation. Oh, is he going to be on time today? Already, some of you have been considering, like, is he going to be on time today? And I totally understand it, because time is precious. And time is the commodity that once it's gone, you cannot get back. I mean, like once time has passed you by, there is nothing that you can ever do to get your time back. Last week at the six o'clock service, we had a guest speaker, Simon Thomas, and he was sharing his story. And it was just an absolutely unbelievable night in the life of church. But one of the things that he encouraged us to do was simply to make the most of every minute of your life. And he was talking from his perspective of having lost his wife to leukemia. And he was just sort of saying, don't take people for granted. Don't take your time for granted. Whatever you do, don't take your life for granted because time is precious. But in light of that, perhaps there's a better question that we can all ask. Rather than simply saying, what time is it? Perhaps the best question, especially when you think about how to make better choices, and better decisions would be, what's the wise thing to do with my time? Not what time is it, but what's the wise thing to do with my time? You know, if I were to point a picture or point you towards a picture of your life, we could talk about all of our lives in the same way that we could describe this jar right here. If your entire life 
was to exist within this jar and this was to represent time. It could be a day, it could be a week, it could be a month. This could be quite a fair representation to how our life looks in terms of time. And time's important for each and every one of us, especially if we follow Christ. In fact, even Moses, let's just pause there for a moment, because even Moses, who wrote some of the Psalms, a lot of people think that David wrote all of the Psalms, but actually Moses wrote some of them too. In Psalm 90, he says this, he says, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. In other words, he's kind of recognising the link between monitoring your time. He's noticing that there is a link between numbering your days and being wise. He's almost saying that what you do with your time is helped by the wisdom that you employ into your life. He was saying, whatever you do, don't be flippant with your time, with your day with your hours, with your week, with your month, with your year, even with your life. Just don't be flippant with it because once it's gone, you can never get it back. So even Moses is kind of like saying there is, there's a clear link between monitoring your time and wisdom. So say your time in here were represented by these white pebbles. I mean, in this jar, this could represent to you, it could be a day, it could be a week, could be a month, it could even be a lifetime. But contained within this jar uh, is everything that you love to do. I mean, everything that you enjoy to do is in this jar right now. This is everything that is just fun for you. This is the extra round of golf on the course. These white pebbles are the hours spent on Netflix. These white pebbles are the hours spent on Fortnite or other games on PS4, anyone else's house overtaken by Fortnite right now. You know, this could consist of anything that you love to do and spend your time on. It could even be countless hours in the sauna. It could be driving around, looking at houses you could never afford. It could be countless hours that you spend window shopping. And surprisingly, you never even come home with any windows. But if this was your time, time is just pretty full. I don't even know what's funny. But if time were to exist in these pebbles, what we then try and do is say, well, my wife, who is a rock right now, we've got to kind of fit family time and wife time in with everything else that we've got going on because that's important. And these black rocks, they represent everything that's just important in life. And every single one of us is going to have different areas of life that is important to us. But maybe it's your wife, maybe it's your children, maybe it's just leisure time, maybe it's just your career, maybe it's just developing the business, whatever it might be. But these black rocks are everything that are important to you. And then, of course, you know, hey, we are in church today, so we can have the spiritual conversation you know, then we all try and shoehorn like a God rock into our life. And it, it feels often like there's just not enough time in the day to do everything that we want to do. I mean, we want the God rock in play in our life. You know, and even David the Psalmist calls God his rock. So it's okay that we describe God as a rock today. But it's almost like that what we find is that what's most important, we often feel like we haven't actually got time 
for. And this is just a picture of what most of our lives look like. I mean, it's just full of a ton of stuff that actually is fun to do, but if we're really super honest, it doesn't actually add a great deal of value to your life. It doesn't actually add any days to your life, and yet what happens is we all end up feeling somewhat stressed out because we just can't fit into our world everything that we want to fit in. You know, though, as a Christian, as a follower of Christ, and if you are a follower of Christ in the room today, then it is awesome that you're with us. But let me just say this. If you're in church and you're checking things out, you're sitting on the fence, you're not really too sure about any of this, then I just want you to know from the off, we are delighted that you are here. You are so welcome. And we really hope that you see this series out because even if you don't follow Christ, then there's some great practical information contained within this that you can take home and apply to your life completely for free. It will make you better at life. But we're so glad that you're here. But one thing that I would say that as a Christian is maybe different to me is the way in which I would look at my time than maybe some of you, especially if you don't follow Christ. The way in which I consider my time, my days, my weeks, it has to be different to the way that everybody else would just look at their time. You see, when I come to my time, and maybe you are the same, maybe you're not, maybe we all have a different approach to this, but when it comes to my time, One of the things that I know is that priorities are so important. So for me personally, what I personally find is that I've got to somehow figure out a way of getting the God rock of my life up front and center and in the pocket of my time first. Like some way, somehow, it's not always easy, But because I follow Christ, I'm like, God, I'm gonna put you first. Like before everything else, I'm gonna put you first. But there are many other things that are high up on my priority list that I have to make sure that I'm always taking care of. And hey, we're all the same in this. So when it comes to like our wives, our spouses, your husbands, your children, we've gotta get them somehow in here, up front and center first too. When it comes to things like your career and other things that are going on that just consume you and take your time, somehow, some way, we've got to find the art of being able to get what's most important prioritized high up on the list first. You know, when it comes to other areas of your life, the business startup, your finances, your relationships, your friendship groups, we've got to somehow find a way to get these into our life first. But what I've found is that priority is the key. Because when you start to prioritize your life better, maybe even when you start to prioritize your life in such a way that puts God first, what you find is that everything that you previously thought you would never have time for, all of a sudden, you're able to fit into your life all of a sudden you're able to make things happen that you had no idea you were ever gonna be able to achieve or do. And then what happens even more so is, check this, there's still margin left at the top of your life when you choose and determine to put God first and up front and center. But the real question and the real difficulty for me is probably the same as for you too. Like, why do we find doing this so hard? Why is it so difficult to put God first 
every day, every week, every month. Why is it so difficult for us to do this? And we're all the same in this. Sometimes we find it difficult because we've simply never made the choice. Sometimes we've never made the decision to put God first and put him up front. But other times we find it most difficult because we end up worrying about everything else that we think we have to do with our time and it stops us trusting in God at all. You know, I think that the best way for me to describe as we set up this talk for today, it would simply be this. I personally have found that when I put God first, I find that I'm less frayed on the edges. I find that I've always got time for people. I find that, although I'm not saying I never get stressed out, but I never get pushed beyond my limit. And yet, when I don't put God first, do you know what I feel like? My life is just overflowing with the pulls and the pushes and the demands of people, of work, with difficulties, with stress, with finance, with everything. It just feels like this is just too much. I've found that priorities are so important. So it's massively important that we discuss this topic about how we manage our time. It's especially important if you follow Christ. It's especially important if you follow Christ because both the Old Testament and the New Testament talk to us specifically about the way in which we that follow Christ should manage our time. In fact, a lot of the writers kind of talk about it in such a way, especially across the Psalms or especially when you consider Solomon's writings in Proverbs or Ecclesiastes. What you find is they kind of say like, like don't take time for granted and don't be flippant with your time because you don't know how long you've got. Like make every day count. This is vitally important if we say we follow Christ. But sometimes... One of the other tensions we have to face and manage is that when we follow Christ, we can think that, hey, if I turn up at church like once a month and do my thing, hey, if I just do that serving thing, if I go volunteer night, then what we kind of feel sometimes is that we're, we're filling our quota of our faith life and therefore we're earning ticks in the boxes. You know, it's kind of like God will be pleased with us because we turn up at church once a month or we turn up at church once every three weeks and on one Sunday we're serving on a team. We're kind of like, we think that by, by doing it that way, that that is some way pleasing to God. When actually, when you study what the Scriptures have to say about how we manage our time, if you follow Christ, it's way more important than that. It is way more significant than simply just turning up at church. It's like way more significant. The implication is simply this. The writers will all point to how if you put the God rock in first, everything else in your life has a way of working out for the better. But it starts by putting the God rock in first. In fact, it's not just the writers from the Old Testament. Even Jesus speaks about this issue. Even Jesus gives us crystal clear advice with regards to how we run and how we should manage 
our time. So I figure that if it's something that Jesus says, then I'm with him. You know, he's the only guy that's ever rose from the dead, so I'm gonna run with whatever Jesus says, okay? So Jesus considers this to be so vitally important that he doesn't want us to miss out on the implications of being flippant with our time. He wants us to count our days, so much so that in Matthew 6, starting in verse 31, this is what he writes about the management of our time. He says, so do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? That's a rock right there, right? Or what shall we drink? That's a rock right there. Or what shall we wear? Well, that's a rock right there, isn't it? And there are so many different rocks that we all will start to potentially worry about in our life. We could fill in these blanks with anything. We could say, so do not worry about how that relationship's gonna work out. Do not worry about how that business situation's gonna come through. Do not worry about how the mess and the carnage of the divorce is gonna affect you long-term. Do not worry about how it's gonna affect your children. He's like, look, don't worry about all of these things, verse 32, for the pagans, in other words, for those people that don't follow Christ, for those people that have chosen that they don't wanna pursue a relationship with God, for those people that don't come to church, for those people that aren't interested in following the one and only son of the one and only God. He says, for the pagans, run after all these things. And your heavenly father, now check this out, if you're a follower of Christ, this is the standpoint that you can look upon which God sees your life. He says, and your heavenly father, he knows that you need them. I mean, in other words, he's saying, he knows what you've got going on. All of the rocks that you're worried about, that you're concerned about, he knows that you've got bills that need paying at the end of the month. He knows that you've got the kids going on a school trip and you don't know how you're gonna make it happen. He knows that relationally everything's got so difficult and complex for you right now. He knows of the heartbreak and the hurt that's happened as a result of the divorce. He knows about the health situation that you're so fearful about and you've got no idea about how it's gonna work out and you're getting stressed out and pressured by it. He knows about all of these things, but, but are you like me? Do you not find that it's so easy to believe that about God when we're in church? Like, hey, when the worship's going and everything's great and the environment's amazing and the atmosphere is just incredible, isn't it so easy in those moments of your life to believe those good things about God? Like, sure, God knows about everything that I'm going through. Sure, God knows about everything that I'm dealing with. And yet you get out of here and you turn up at the office on Monday and all of a sudden it just feels like, God, do you even know that I'm here? Do you even know that I'm alive? Do you know what I've got on my plate right now? I mean, we all wrestle with this tension because if we all really believed that our Father in heaven knows about all of the rocks, all of the issues, all of the stresses, all of the concerns, if we really believe that our Father in heaven knows about everything that we've got on our plate, it would change everything. And here Jesus is saying, your Father in heaven, He knows exactly what you need. He knows exactly about your dreams and aspirations for the job. He knows exactly about your dreams and your aspirations for a baby. He knows exactly about your dreams and aspirations for another house, for another position, for another opportunity, for a wife, for a husband. He knows exactly about all of those things. And Jesus is wanting to lay it on thick. 
So now he's saying, look, this is who God really is. He knows. So therefore, verse 33, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all other things will be given to you as well. In other words, Jesus would be saying it like this, like, look, live your life however you wanna live it, but if you're gonna say, yeah, I'm a Christian, I follow Jesus, you've gotta start with the God rock. You have to put the God rock in the jar first. Somehow you have to find and create a way of putting God up front and center in your life. You cannot do it any other way. Seek first, not second, not on the peripheral of your life, not on the back burner of your life, but before any other thing. He's saying, seek first His kingdom and His righteousness and everything else that you're worrying about but yet dreaming for at the same for, everything else that you earnestly want in the stillness of the night, everything else that maybe you dream about but you've never even had the confidence to share with any other person, everything else will be added to you as you choose to put the God rock up front and centre in your life first. But how do we do that, right? Because practically, what does that even mean? Well, put the God rock in your jar. Do we all have to get big jars in the kitchen and be like, what do we do with that? No, no, let's get super practical for a moment, right? And there's no kind of like one rule fits all because your character's gonna be different to mine. The context of your life is gonna be different to mine. So you're gonna have to like change this and shape this to a way that works for you and fits in with your life well. But it's something that we can all do. There are practical things that we can all do in an attempt to put the God rock in the jar of our life first. So I would simply say this to start with, every single day, not once a week, not once, every day, you've got to devote a portion of your time to intentionally put God up front and center in your life. And you know what? Has, has anybody ever done this kind of gone, oh God, I'm going to get real close with you, you know, I'm going to really build my relationship with you and I'm going to give you, God, the final five minutes when I'm in bed and my head's on the pillow and then you start to pray like, God, I just want you to invade my world and I want to follow you and within a few moments, you're like, you're zonked out, you're like fast asleep. Anyone else ever done that? Well, the thing is, is most people will kind of say, hey, it doesn't really matter where you have a, have a quiet time or a devotion time. And, and I'm all up for that. Like, you've got to find a part of your day where you can really kind of study scripture that works for you well. But I'm not even talking about like studying. I'm just talking about you have to create a moment of devotion before God at the start of your day. Like the first thing you do before you have to fight the fires before you've got to respond to the emails, before you've got to react to the demands in the office, before you've got to respond to the phone calls and the pulls and the pushes that come your way, before all of that starts, you know, before you get pulled and pushed on from the children, before you get pulled and pushed on from a friend, before anything happens, you've got to have a moment where you just kind of right-size yourself before God and commit to devoting a window of your time at the start of your day first. You know what I've found? When I say yes to God at the start of my day, it really does affect for the better the latter part of my day. 
When I put God first, it really helps the end of my day. That's what I personally have found. Now, look, I totally get it, right? Um, some of you are sort of like, yeah, but hang on a minute. Like, I don't even function in the morning unless I've had like a coffee and a shower. Like, do I have to do it before then or after then? How does this actually work? Well, well look, you're probably worrying about way too much. I love a quote by Martin Luther. He says this, you know, pray and let God worry. And if you were to just embrace that notion at the start of your day, how differently would you approach your day? I mean, look, if you want to grab a shower, grab a coffee first, that's absolutely fine. Do what works for you, right? We don't care. Whatever fits is going to be the best thing for you. But I'm just saying, like, look, we've got to build this mentality as we choose to follow Christ that it's our job to pray and it's God's job to worry, which by the way, he doesn't. In other words, it's not our responsibility to carry the worries and the weights of life around with us that we should already be giving to God at the start of our day. Now, again, let's try and make this super practical and it's gonna be different for kind of everybody. But I sort of do it with, with the Lord's Prayer. And the reason why I do it with the Lord's Prayer is because I understand that what you prioritise increases your capacity. When you prioritise your life right well, it increases your capacity. So you could start your day, maybe some would go into another room, maybe you get on the, I don't know, the couch or whatever, go wherever you feel super confident and just have a moment where you pray to God. It's as simple as that. You know, I've got a friend and he's kind of like, he does the whole like, he, he, he makes himself a coffee and then stares out the window and just has a 15 minute window. Sometimes he even likes to just get down on his knees to like right size himself before God and be, be prayerfully considerate of all that God is and everything that he's done for him. And he just creates this window of time where he's like, God, I'm gonna put you first. For me, it's not always 15 minutes at the start of my day, but, but I grew up in primary school and maybe some of you have had this too. We used to say the Lord's Prayer every single day at assembly and you would be able to recite that thing off by heart by the time you were like four, no problem. But every single day we would say the Lord's Prayer. The problem with the Lord's Prayer is that you can think that it's some kind of ritualistic saying that if you say it, it gets you brownie points with God. But actually, it was more of a model prayer that Jesus was telling us to, when you pray, pray in this way. But the fact that many of us can even recite the Lord's Prayer, or if you can't, you can go and check it out. It's in the Gospels. You can find it. Um, it's, it's a brilliant way, a brilliant model to pray. What I like to do is I take that prayer that I have recited, that I know, and then I say it back to God. So it starts, doesn't it, you know, um, our Father who art in heaven, holy is your name. You know, I always start by saying, God, I'm so grateful that I get to call you Father. Like, I'm so grateful that you see me as a son. I'm so grateful that my relationship with you is such that, like, we're close on this. It's not like you're a distant God that wants nothing to do with his people, but you're a God who sees me as a son and I can approach you as a father, so I'm glad that I get to call you Father who is in heaven, and God, I know that you're in heaven. Like, God, I know that you're bigger than me. God, I know that no matter what I'm facing today, you're bigger than everything that I'm gonna have to deal with. You're bigger than every challenge. God, you're greater than me, you're stronger than me. Our Father who art in heaven, holy is your name, or hallowed be your name. It's like, God, you're good. God, you're good even when life 
isn't. Your kingdom come, your will be done. In fact, God, before we even start on this day, Lord, I want your plan for my life to come forward more than my own plans for my life. God, I want your plans for this church, for our church, for every person in the church. And I will pray for you pretty much daily. And I'll be like, God, I pray that in the lives of all the people that come to Liverpool One Church, that that your will, that your desires would be way high on their agenda also. And you can kind of do this and fashion this in your own way, but but there's just gotta be some kind of daily habit that creates you a moment where you simply say, God, and you, you don't have to do the Lord's Prayer. You can get up every morning and just go, God, I want you to be the God rock in the jar of my life today. And then get on with the rest of your life the rest of your day. And if you sincerely mean that, in that moment, I think that God hears it, but, but it starts. Find a way that's just gonna work for you because life really is about priorities. And when you prioritise things right, it really does increase your capacity. And I think that what Jesus would want us to know is that there's no problem with having the dreams and the aspirations and spending time on all the white stones. There's no problem with doing any of that. That's all great. There's no problem to dream one day of being able to put more energy and resource into having a better house, having a bigger business, having a better career, to one day being married, one day having a child. There's no problems or anything with any of those white stones at all. But whatever you do, whatever you do, Don't pick up the white stones first. Don't pick up any of your dreams or any of your desires without first putting God in the centre of the jar of your life first. So in closing, what's the wise thing for you to do with the time that we all have left? You know, when you're a child, you get so excited about your birthdays, don't you? It's kind of like, it's my birthday. And it's like, woohoo, it's great, it's awesome. But I don't really know the age when this kind of happens, but there is an age when actually, when every birthday comes round, you're no longer like, it's my birthday. You're now like, how much time have I got left? Because <laughs> I think that what Moses was saying was absolutely right. Oh God, teach us to number our days. Teach us to not be foolish with the time that we have because only you know how much time we have. So with the days that we have left, God, teach us to be wise. And as Jesus encouraged us to do, seek first the kingdom of God and everything else will be added to you. So what's the wise thing for you to do with your time? Church, let's stand to our feet. We're going to pray.